This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 18, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New for this year, 2017 opening day rosters, historic Negro League integration, run the ultimate what-if scenarios, tournaments, fall leagues, a redesigned injury system, an improved 3D game, real-time presentation, and game highlights, improved player morale, and team chemistry, and so much more. Out of the Park Baseball 18 has the full sleeper in the bust stamp of approval. We all play it and have for years. Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bust podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, and just enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bust, indie sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 18. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout for a special discount and to support our show. Guys, I, I'm obsessed with this game. It is so much fun. Um, I played a lot of OOTP17. You guys have heard me talk about my Twitch streams, twitch.tv slash pspore24. I was streaming my 17 franchise over there. I, I, I did a fantasy draft in 1995. I was able to get Ken Griffey Jr., and Pedro Martinez. I don't know what the computer was thinking there, uh, letting letting both of those guys get there. I took Pedro with my first pick, and then and then got Ken Griffey Jr. I haven't started my new eighteen one for um, for streams yet, but I'm going to. And I'm actually just gonna gonna start over. I, I I won the World Series that first year with the with the seventeen team, but I'm gonna start a new one. We'll do the draft at some point soon, so stay tuned for that. But out of the park is is just so much fun. You've heard me talk about. Uh, other baseball video games I like, they're, they're two different experiences. This is the sim, in-depth, management sort of deal, and then the other game is, is playing. So um, I absolutely love this game. One last time, ootpdevelopments.com. Sleeper18 is, is your discount code. Uh, that lets them know that we, that we sent you there, and they give you a little bit of uh, a little bit off the top as well. If you do play the game, let me know. Let me know what you're doing with it. Let me know what, uh, what team you're going with, whether you're starting historically or going from now. Uh, if you do the fantasy draft, hit me up on Twitter, at Spora. I love kind of seeing how people go because it, it doesn't just play out 100% to, to history. Things can change and you can have guys you know you can have a failed prospect that actually pans out for you so i I love seeing that stuff definitely hit me up there um and 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 thanks for supporting the show by by going to ootpdevelopments.com Hello and welcome to episode 490 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Tuesday, August 22nd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, flying solo today, talking breakout pitchers. You may remember a couple weeks ago we did a breakout hitters as keepers episode, talking about guys like Aaron Judge, Michael Conforto, Marlon Gonzalez, Tommy Pham, and a bunch of others, and kind of assessing their their value as, as keepers. And it's difficult to do because there are so many variables that apply, you know, how much do they cost? Do you have a situation where, you know, I know some leagues, free agents, they're like 15 bucks. And so, you know, just Tommy Pham, for example, you keep him at 15 bucks? I don't think so. I really like him. But a, a $2 keep, sure, even even though it could blow up, I'm going to take my shot on a $2 Pham. $15 Pham, that's a much different equation. Uh, some, of the, some of the leagues use the different round that you pick them in, which would unlikely... Uh, make any of these guys cost prohibitive because they were acquired in later rounds. Uh, but some of them say, okay, free agents to avoid having too many super inexpensive keepers. They'll say free agents are, you know, the 15th round, you know, and then all of a sudden you got a, a decision on certain guys. So we're going to assess those values on a handful of pitchers with, as with the, the hitters, I don't want to commit to a certain number because of this, if I, if I start going crazy on all these guys and, and we're here for four hours, that's not going to be good for anybody except for the listeners. Oh, got them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm stupid. Um, but I do want to start uh, in a moment here. First, I want to acknowledge the newest addition 
to the Rotographs team, and that is Nick Pollock from thepitcherlist.com. Uh, actually, is it the pitcherlist? So I, I get confused here because his YouTube, or excuse me, his YouTube, his Twitter, Twitter handle is pitcherlist. The pitcherlist, and the website is pitcherlist.com. So let's rewind. That's me rewinding. I want to welcome Nick Pollock to the team. Uh, he'll be doing two articles a week, breaking down pitchers. He can be found at the pitcher list on Twitter and pitcherlist.com for the website. So, so get rid of the, the for the website. Okay. Uh, very excited to have Nick in, in, in on the team in the fold. Uh, I'm going to be having him on the show. Eventually he has his own show that I will definitely uh, promote here. It's called on the corner. It's a pitcher podcast that he does with, uh, uh, one of a couple different writers that he has there. So very, very excited about that. He actually just had a piece go up about Blake Snell. He had an excellent deep dive on Reynaldo Lopez uh, for his debut. I think he's got Lucas Giolito coming up tomorrow too. And, you know, he he mentioned, he said, okay, I'm going to do the Lucas Giolito one. That, that can come out on Wednesday. Do you want me to do Carson Fulmer for for Tuesday? And I said, well, Maybe not, because then people are going to wonder why you're only writing up White Sox. <laughs> so we had him shift over to Blake Snell, and I'm pretty interested uh, in that piece. It was, it was a really good piece, so I think you should go ahead and check that out. Welcome, Nick, to the team. But now we must get into it. Let's talk. Breakout pitchers as keepers. First on the list is Luis Severino for the New York Yankees, 23-year-old right-hander, has 150 innings this year, a 318 ERA, 111 whip, 28% strikeout rate, 22% strikeout minus walk rate. I mean, he's been fantastic. Now, he's also a great case, Severino is, of uh, prospect growth not being linear. He hit the ground running from an August and September stint back in 2015, 62 innings with a 289 ERA. But the 120 whip and the 1.3 homer per nine were certainly a concern to say, hey, this you know this might not be perfect. Then of course in twenty in twenty sixteen he was three runs higher at five eighty three ERA in seventy one innings. Another pretty small sample, but it didn't go well. Even though the thirteen percent strikeout minus walk rate was exactly the same in fifteen and sixteen, home runs were still an issue, and you saw the volatility of those samples uh, because they are small. And even though you know I, I know the majority of the, of this audience the the perhaps the entire audience understands that. You know, you don't you don't pick up a guy after five games uh, of hitting well and say this is who he is, or after one big start. Now, in today's fantasy game, you have to make moves that quickly, but we do it with the incomplete info, understanding that hey, we've, we're seeing a little something. There are some skills. I'm going to jump on and, and and assess it from there. You can't leave him out there for two, three weeks and, and then come back and say, hey, now that he's a little bit more proven, I'll go ahead and jump on him. Not in the internet game today. A little bit more back in the day. I'm old, so I uh, I certainly played at a time when you could wait. You could wait for things to stabilize a bit and before you make a move on a guy. These days, somebody hits a home run, they're picked up. Somebody has an eight strikeout game, they're picked up. And I get it. I get it. Scoop now, ask questions later. But anyway, Severino, having a brilliant season. He is 23 years old. Now, here's going to be the thing with with someone like Severino and the entire group, really. The the large majority of them are, are are younger guys. You know, I think a couple are a little bit a little bit in their upper twenties. I don't think anybody's over thirty on this list. Um, so they're unproven, right? By their nature, the, with the breakout, you know, you don't you you don't have good seasons in your past. You broke out from kind of being having a heap of potential or or kind of coming out of nowhere. So they're going to be, and their pitchers, so they're going to be risky assets going forward anyway. So let's get that blanket statement out so we don't have to keep qualifying the fact that these guys are super risky. And up and down this entire list is a bunch of risk. And several of them are going to fail next year. I don't know which ones. You don't know which ones. Like We, we, we don't know yet. Uh, that's just the nature of pitching. But I don't think you should just dismiss keeper uh pitch pitching keepers entirely just because of this volatility hell there's volatility with hitters too obviously i i, I do believe that pitchers have more but there's plenty with hitters um so yeah just keep that in mind that's why you know we're, we're hoping that the, these guys should be cheaper um they shouldn't cost you as much now one thing i will say 
to avoid the uh, the volatility of, of of pitchers. I don't extend pitchers pretty much as a flat rule. Now there are exceptions, so uh, that's why I said pretty much. Leave myself a little wiggle room. You get some you get some stud on a, on a dollar contract, and and you want to push him out for two years, and he ends up being what like. You, most leagues that'd be like eleven dollars. It's like five dollars a year or whatever. I, I get that, okay? Because even at eleven dollars, if he completely implodes, he can't really kill you. But you know those kind of those kind of more in between ones that say say like a Lance McCullers, who are, we are going to talk about. He's probably you know like a seventeen dollar guy in a lot of leagues this year, and he had a good se- you know he's had a good season in a lot of aspects, but. He's also had troubles. He's currently not pitching. And because of some of the troubles he had before he went on the DL, he's now toting a 392 ERA, which certainly doesn't jump off the page as elite. But we know the skills. We know the talent. I would not contract Lance McCullers. Uh, There's no chance that I would do that. Alex Wood, somebody who's having a fantastic year. I guess I probably don't need to keep saying that either because they're all having good years. They're breakout pitchers, Paul. You silly clown. Um but he's he's probably having one of the very best in the entire league and yet he's now dealing with some injuries of his own again the little flare-up i think of the shoulder Uh, alex wood has had injuries in the past he's 26 years old this season i would not contract him i just it's just not for me so on that end i i I will say that i'm i'm again pretty definitive i know that's a, a little waffly but again there are a few examples but for the most part it's a no on contracts that doesn't mean you can't keep them for the one year though uh, i'm only talking about things that c- that push your commitment beyond the upcoming season so severino is going to be somebody that's going to be super super cheap um let me look him up really quick on the adp for for nfbc drafts average draft position i'm like at adp on the nfbc and uh i can't think of other acronyms to make that joke funnier um so there there's that he was the 100th starting pitcher off the board at pick 350 severino was now nfbc leagues aren't keepers but they do give kind of a good feel of the uh the the market as a whole and if and if nfbc a community that's known for kind of being aggressive on on players young pitchers young hitters that maybe haven't proven it as much yet because they want to capture that that breakout season before it happens if they were only taking him at pitcher 100, then I can envision a lot of home leagues taking him even later, if at all. By the way, interesting names here. Uh, from Just from 100 to 110, you have Luis Severino, Alex Wood at 102, Jose Barrios at 108, and um, there was another one. No, there wasn't. Just those three. But they're, they're pretty interesting to see Severino, Wood, and Barrios all there in the uh in the 100 to 110 range for nfbc drafts they clearly weren't getting a lot of love and they've pan- and they've panned out in a big way this year so he's going to be super cheap i'm definitely giving him that that one year i am excited to see what he can do first off to finish off this year but then a follow-up next year i i, I don't rule out some stabilization you know some some regression kind of back maybe into the into the mid upper threes area but the talent is so rich that that you definitely have to to identify Severino as somebody that you want. Uh, so not only am I obviously keeping him for 2017, excuse me, for 2018 situations, but Luis Severino is also somebody that I would actively try to acquire, even understanding that it, that it would come at a high cost. So I'm I'm, I'm pretty hyped on Sevi. James Paxton is one who I think will be confounding to a lot of uh, fantasy owners this off season as they try to assess what they want to do with the 28 year old lefty now he's currently on the dl again uh strain left pectoral second or third DL this year i think it's just his second but either way there there have been multiple so it doesn't necessarily i mean we don't need to get bogged down and if it's two or three it's not good so um I'm nervous here, and I loved James Paxton coming in. I was obviously not anywhere near the only one, but I was certain I, I can count myself among that group that was super hyped on him. So, um, you know, this this breakout doesn't overwhelmingly surprise me 
it, it's in line with some of the stuff that I expected. Not a two seventy eight ERA, but you know, even as a backer, I'm not sure I'm a backer for eighteen. And unlike Severino, who I'd be automatically keeping, of course, but also trying to get Paxton, somebody I'd be dangling. Dynasty League, Keeper League. Um, I, I think even with the scenario right now where he's on the DL. Now, I'm not saying you go now. First off, I don't know the situation for a lot of leagues don't have trading open right now. So let's assume that... M- the trading I'm talking about is off-season trading. Okay, let, let, let's let's assume that as as kind of a general rule, because I know so many leagues don't even have trading available the rest of this year. But with Paxton, I think once the off-season hits, and, that, and I'm hoping you know the the next month plus can change that scope uh, for the negative. I think I don't know that it can change it for the positive because I mean even if Paxton comes back and throws um, throws a brilliant September, you know another. 45 innings of of a two and a half era or something with a boatload of strikeouts okay great you're you're you were awesome again that's fantastic and i i i like that thank you for helping my fantasy teams but he's gonna be 29 next year and injuries have constantly plagued this guy now your league mates aren't dumb they're not just going to ignore that fact and and be rabid about acquiring paxton now i will say this though in a lot of leagues, there there might be that one guy who's kind of on the top of the scale uh, that does still want him. And again, even somebody like me, who I consider myself very much a, a big Maple backer, Big Maple is his nickname, an amazing James Paxton nickname. So I really like Big Maple. You could open the door and on some trading with me, but I would immediately point out that I'm I'm probably not going to give you the exact price you're looking for because I'm really factoring in that 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 health grade. So if you want to operate from a starting point of that, then by all means, let's do it. But if you're really looking for uh, just the, the, the top dollar, I got to get first round type of, you know, I got to get upper tier hitting talent plus a gamble pitcher for myself, then uh, then you got to you got to look elsewhere. I would be careful with James Paxton going forward uh, in keeper situations I would now again. I don't want this to sound like a, I don't know if this is a full-on contradiction, and you can call me out if it is. I'm still open to drafting him next year, but the reason that it, that's so different for me, even though it might not seem all that different, is I'm in more control. I like getting into the draft and getting into situations where I have a few players and then Paxton is, is you know, the Paxton decision is up, up for grabs as opposed to coming in saying, well, okay, Paxton's on the team and now I kind of have to plan around that and I have to ensure, you know, as much as you can, which you really can't. Uh, I, now I have to ensure that I, I, I try to get maybe some stability with my pitching or or maybe not stability because I don't think you can really predict that any single pitcher is going to stay healthy, but instead load up on pitching supplies to cover the fact that Paxton could get hurt multiple times. So anyway, I, I'm reiterating the same thing in multiple ways now, so we'll move on. But James Paxton somebody that I'm nervous about and I don't, uh, I'd rather not keep for 2018. Now, if you can't trade him, then you then you basically have to keep him, right? Because the price is still going to be at a level uh, where you're where you're not overly committed. I'm thinking mid double digits. Like he strikes me as one of those guys that's probably like fourteen, fifteen bucks in in mixed leagues. You guys can let me know some of the prices that you paid for James Paxton. If you are in a keeper auction, a mixed keeper auction, because um, that's that's what I'm kind of focused on right now. Are keep uh, mixed leagues more so than AL or NL only, and they don't necessarily have to be auction. It can be round too, um, you know, where where you keep the round that they in, or you keep the round plus a, a couple as a penalty. So he was drafted in in round twelve, and he would cost you a nine or a ten or something like that. I know leagues that that do that. So Paxton was drafted in uh, NFBC in the eleventh round. So he's in that teens range. Fine, you know. You're again. If you can't trade him, you're going to have to keep him. But I would try to move out. Aaron Nola is a little Paxtony in that we're starting to see some health concerns develop, but I don't think that they are to the same level. And the big factor for me is that he's four years younger. Nola's 24 right now, 
So um, that factor alone separates the two and has me more interested in Nola as a keeper than than Paxton, even also acknowledging that the top ceiling, yeah, like what's the top ceiling? What the, what the hell's a top ceiling? That's like the bottom floor. Um, the upper reaches, I'll just say his ceiling. We'll just say his, that's, a, that's, that's what that word connotes, Paul. You can just say ceiling and people know you're talking about the top of his scale. Anyway, I do think Paxton's ceiling, when he's at his best and healthy, is a, is a little bit higher than Nola's. But I'll take the four years, uh, the, the better track record of health, albeit spotty as well. And the fact that I could also get some more development here, whereas Paxton, I think we've seen the best this year. Now, he, can he maintain there and plateau a little bit? Great. But is he likely to go another level? I, I don't see it. 278, 108 whip, 278 ERA, 108 whip for Paxton. Where's he going from there? Uh, now, Nola has a 326 ERA, 118 whip this year. And it's been an interesting se- season just confined within these 20 starts, wherein um, he got off to a, a pretty shaky start. Uh, he had that DL stint right away in April, lost a month to it. And after six starts through April and May, three in each month, he had a 5.06 ERA. And it's like, well, what's going on? This guy's hurt again. This is not good. What are we doing with Nola? Well, if you stayed the course, you've been handsomely rewarded over his last 14 starts uh, starting on June 1st. Nola has a 2.63 ERA with 99 strikeouts and 92 in the third innings. That's fantastic. And one of the things that I've really liked about Nola the last two years, by the way, this is a continuation of what Nola did last year. I, I, I'm i calling it a breakout and I'm including him here because you see a 478 ERA on the ledger last year. And, and that certainly doesn't look like any sort of breakout for Nola last year. But if you look at the timeline of 2016, I don't see any way you can't completely explain the issues uh, with the elbow injury that eventually uh, cut his season at uh, July 28th. That was his last start. So he had a 265 ERA with skills to support it. I'm not just citing ERA blindly. With the skills to support it through his first 12 starts, Nola did last year. And then over the course of eight starts, he goes three and two-thirds, three, three, three and a third, five, uh, and then has a DL stint. By the way, he got his clock cleaned in all f- all five of those starts. Comes back off the DL, throws six scoreless against Miami. Yay, he's healthy again. Psych, next start out, four innings, six runs, five innings, three runs, and his season's over. So when he first got back off the DL, he was probably feeling fresh and, and, and good to go, but it was too much, and, and the next two starts were bad. So I think everything in there with the one good start out of eight clearly explains that the elbow was playing a role on Nola's um, the back half of 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 his season so i got you know you can call it an excuse or explain it it's it's the reason i don't think it's an excuse to try to make him look better it's just the reason so you know dealt with another injury this year that's definitely concerning and we're at the 20 start mark again this year so anything else is going to be uh addition uh or or added um to what he did last year so we can see kind of you know what what what's he do beyond the 20 start mark here you look, and it's a 19% strikeout minus walk rate last year for Nola, 18% this year. So those skills are holding. The ground ball rate's down a little bit from 55 to 49. I'm not overly concerned with that. Uh, I do like that he generally favors ground balls while still maintaining strikeouts. And uh, he's a big called strike guy. That's what one of Nola's things um, that, that he's kind of become known for over the last three years. Although his swinging strike rate has gone up each year from 9 to 10 to 11%. Uh, so I do like that, that he's become less reliant on the swinging strike, or excuse me, on the called strike, and his swinging strikes are good. By the way, through five innings today, uh, five hits, three runs, six strikeouts, one walk, no homers against the Marlins. I didn't know there was a day game today. Sweet life, Paul. Let me see if he's still pitching or if that was it. If it was five and die. Let's see here. Doop do do it is the bottom of the fifth. So Philly is batting and Noah is up. So he's going to continue, it looks like. Okay, great. And why wouldn't he? 78 pitches through five. You know, he's allowed three runs, but he's pitching very well. He's given up a handful of doubles. Uh, but but that's that's really it. Not, nothing crazy. Um, Reese Hoskins with another homer. Man, that guy. 
you got to wonder why they kept him down so long. He's come up and he's hit the ground running. He's been everything that his minor league numbers suggested. Now, it is a it is a small sample. It is early. But, you know, power, that's something that, like, I don't think you come up and, and fake that for the most part, especially when power was, was your calling card. Anyway, I'm not trying to devolve into a, a Reese Hoskins discussion. But Aaron Nola, so again, a little bit altered from from the Paxton situation where I am keeping him easily. Uh, I am also open to acquiring Nola, though maybe not, you know, bending over backwards to get him. One of those things where I have I have interest. Uh, I would not call it maybe overwhelming interest to, to acquire him, but if I have him, definitely someone I'm very comfortable putting in uh, into a keeper list there. So Severino, I would have a little bit more interest in acquiring in the offseason. Nola, somebody that I'd be knocking on the door, but I would not be beating down the door. Uh, Alex Wood is somebody that I had just briefly mentioned when it came to guys that, you know, going forward, based on their health record, I, I would have some concern about. This is another one. This is this is more Paxton-y than, uh, than anything else. 26 years old, so he's not super young. Also not old. I don't want. I don't want to go too far, especially with with Paxton either. You know, just because he's twenty nine doesn't mean he's ready to break down and and you know, the the end is is nigh for him. No, it's just that I think you kind of are what you are um, for the most part when you get to that level there. And I'm not sure there's a ton of growth left for somebody like Paxton. For Wood too, I think we're seeing the best of of what he has to offer. He's added velocity this year and had just an amazing season added velocity and command just like Paxton by the way um and the results have been tremendous now he did have a 26% strikeout rate last year in 60 innings with the Dodgers and he's matched that same exact 26% strikeout rate this year but also improved his walk rate improved his swinging strike rate which kind of lends some more credence to the strikeout potential going forward when you're missing bats and added ground ball rate, even though his ground ball rate last year at 54% was fantastic. So Alex Woods at 56% this year and everything's been going in his favor, a 206 batting average against. Now, a lot of that is, is stuff that he's doing, but you also have to have some pretty good fortune. Um, you know, things have to go your way as well. And a 263 BABIP is definitely things going his way far in a way. His best ever, 32 points better than anything Alex Wood has ever done BABIP-wise. The LA defense certainly helping him out there. And, you know, it's going to be a good, solid LA defense next year. But as we saw with the Cubs, just, just because it's the same guys doesn't mean they're going to perform the same. Just defense just doesn't have that kind of stability because you need the ball to kind of go the right way too. Um, but I like the added velo, although it, it has caused issues, and, and the, it seems the second it goes down, it's automatic trouble for Alex Wood, and he has got some shoulder inflammation now. You know, now anytime a, a, a guy's velocity goes down, we are we are concerned. This is not Alex Wood specific, but his usually require time missed immediately, and I don't, I don't know that that's the case for everybody. I think you know sometimes a guy has his velocity go down. And, you know, he, he slogs through a start or two to kind of figure it out and turns out it's not an injury thing and we're good to go. But the second that we see injury issue, uh, you know, velocity issue for Wood, it's almost always followed by, well, he's going to miss his next start or he's on the DL. So, uh, yeah, he's on the DL with a shoulder. I love the I love the talent here. I, I, be, I became an Alex Wood convert. Uh, I was not somebody I was not a fan of because those mechanics just uh, were too sketchy for me. I just didn't see him maintaining success uh, start to start, let alone year to year. And he's had, he's had a brilliant year. So hats off to Alex Wood. I enjoy watching him pitch. He's been great. This is the best it will ever be for Alex Wood. This is not a train I want to be on as a keeper. Uh, I would certainly be entertaining trades. I would take, just about any of the hitters I talked about on the breakout hitters piece uh, podcast outside of like fam, I think. And I don't remember all the names. Let me just pull it up real quick. Hang on. All right. So it was Aaron Judge, Andleton Simmons, Marlon Gonzalez, Michael Conforto, Marcelo Zuna, Jonathan Scope, Paul DeYoung, Chris Taylor, JT Romuto, and Tommy Pham. Yeah, any of them but Pham I would take for Alex Wood in a trade. Um you know, assuming that you know, keeper things were kind of aligned. I know you're not going to get judged for him, but I think all the others would be in play 
and I'd rather have them. I just I don't know that that Alex Wood is is set to hold up uh, for for a starters grind every year. I mean, he has 123 innings this year. He has peaked at a, at a buck 90, and he had a 172 back in 2014. So 14 and 15, he, he put up uh, 172, 190. But can he do it year in year out, especially with this new velocity? And uh, I mean, we have already seen this year that he can't because he's he's already missed time. This is one of those where you, you you think you're lucky stars that you had Alex Wood this year. He's a major contributor to hopefully a successful team because he's been so good. But you, you, you try to move on um, via trade. Now, again, just because I'm, I'm pretty actively against Alex Wood as somebody I want to hitch my wagon to as a keeper, there are going to be scenarios where he is too cheap not to keep. So I'm not suggesting that those of you that have him at these at these low rates just cut Alex Wood and say, Spore said it. Um, because, you know, unless you just have most of the hitters from the, the breakout hitters and a bunch of the pitchers that we're, we're still yet to talk about or already have talked about, and he ends up being your ninth best guy, you're pretty much going to have to keep Alex Wood. But, but try not to. Try to find a way where you can trade him. Um, I just... I just don't trust it over a long term. All right, next up is Jose Barrios. And, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody already knows how much I like Jose Barrios. So, uh, I'm, I'm pretty favorable on, on keeping him next year and, and trying to get him on the team via an offseason trade. Especially, I mean, he had a good he had a good outing yesterday. Barrios did on on Monday the twenty first. Seven scoreless again, a good outing. I understand it. He had a great outing. Seven seven uh, scoreless, two hit innings, seven strikeouts, one walk against Arizona. Good team. Um, so that was really nice after two duds in a row. I did a pros and cons on him. You know, sometimes I I kind of forget to check in on the guys that I already have. You know, a, a well developed thought on. You know, watch them. Uh, pitching a lot uh, they've been pitching well so I kind of just hey file it in Jose Barrios is good no need to worry about it then you kind of go back and and you know because you can't deep dive everybody's stats every day or or even every week um, so he kind of you know checking in on on Barrios's stats kind of fell off the radar a little bit so I missed the fact that that was two duds in a row he'd been struggling so I figured it's time to do an honest check and um, you know I still found stuff that has me extremely heartened about him um, there's still plenty to be excited about Barrios with, particularly the fastball. Uh, the fact that he has solid control for a young guy with, uh, with, with, with good stuff and that he holds up well when he's on, um, his third time through performance is extremely good for Barrios. And that's something that a young guy's often struggle with for a while. That that's, that's usually a big hurdle for them. You know, even when they have their good stuff, it, it kind of dies out in that sixth inning and they have trouble getting through that third time. So Barrios hasn't had that that sort of issue. However, the, the, the two secondaries, while they do flash brilliance, particularly the curveball really flashes brilliance at times, they're very inconsistent and, and they've been problematic for him. Uh, yielding a platoon issue, he's got, uh, let's see here. Set, uh, only a 700 OPS against lefties doesn't scream platoon trouble because it's 659 against righties, so there's not even that much difference. But then you look, 5.3 strikeout to walk ratio against righties, 1.9 against lefties. So what that tells me is that that 700 is probably favorable. Things have been going well for Barrios to maintain a 700 OPS against lefties and maybe even a little bit of bad luck to have a 659 against righties given the, the base skills. And so that over time, I would see that platoon split widening. And so I, I definitely want to see some improvements in those secondary pitches at the same time. Like, I, you know, acknowledging that 100%, still talking about a 23-year-old who has 164 innings in the majors. There's just a lot of time here. And I think a lot of people got off board last year because he had those brutal 58 innings. He had an 802 ERA. Like, it was horrific. Small sample or not, that was 14 disastrous starts when you put it all together last year for Barrios. But, and I've said it a trillion times, one more time, he continued to dominate in AAA. So he was not completely broken down. It was a situation where uh, there was talk of tipping pitches. He talked himself about being mentally prepared and that he wasn't uh, 
mentally prepared for the majors. And so there were issues there last year with, with Barrios that you can kind of say, okay, that makes sense. Um, why you had such major struggles because you just weren't ready to go this year. He's been ready to go and, and he's been great. Um, even with the, with the struggles that we were talking about here, those two bad starts before his most recent one, he's had some ups and downs. It, it goes beyond that, by the way, I don't, I don't want to just say that it was just those two bad starts and that was it. Actually his, his season right now kind of has uh, distinct splits of May, June, July, August. Now the, the, the bookend starts here in August, kind of break that up a little bit. Seven innings, one run at San Diego, which is great. You got you got to take advantage of the ones that are favorable. So just because it was at San Diego doesn't mean we discount it, especially because he'd been struggling. Uh, and then the seven shutout against Arizona, those are bookended. Uh, those are bookending five and five against Texas and three and a third six at Detroit. So um, you know we're seeing we're seeing kind of guardrail to guardrail here with Barrios, and I think a lot of it does relate to. Uh, the, the inconsistent secondaries and, and, and things like that. But again, with the numbers he had last year, he was so far off the radar. I, I already mentioned that he was among the you know, outside the top 100 starters at NFPC. That is single season keeper league. He was certainly drafted higher because people are still going to keep an eye out. Um, but still super cheap. I can't imagine that he was higher than the 75th starter off the board, even in a keep keep six or seven sort of league i mean because if you don't if you don't like a keep four keep five you're not even planning on keeping burritos even after the big year let alone at the draft table when you're thinking about how things could go there's a chance uh there's more than a chance it's, it's almost a well i don't want to say certainty but it's a very high probability that you've got four better players than than a, a will be 24 year old burritos so shallower keeper keeper leagues certainly not somebody that um uh, is the highest priority Jose Barrios but once you start getting into the 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 six seven and beyond or the 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 dollar value round value like some leagues just say keep your best guys keep four no matter what there's no cost and that's essentially the first four rounds of the draft and then we just you know they don't it doesn't matter so then you're you're keeping your first round studs um, all that sort of stuff most leagues put stipulations out there uh, to kind of keep the the draft fresh with the studs and then we start getting into our values and and that's where somebody like Barrios comes into play because he's going to be super cheap either as an auction or a buy round keeper and I still think there's there's frontline potential here for you know over a full season we've seen frontline bursts uh, I still think we see frontline seasons out of Barrios going forward. So I'm still very hyped on him. It's been a really great building block of a season. He, you know, depending on how his September goes, he's probably going to either be in the mid threes uh, to low four somewhere there. He's at 399 right now. He can go up a couple ticks and go down a couple ticks. Uh, hopefully, nothing too disastrous that sends him sky high. Although one, you know, here's the thing: if he has what seven more starts the rest of the year or something and one of them is a disaster and the other six are good but it, the one balloons his era up to 452 and people want to say it's a bad year that's why you always have to look at the composition of an era but anyway i'm high on Barrios. i'm trying to get him i'm keeping him uh pretty much everywhere i can all right, next is a couple of teammates for the Brewers and a big reason that the Brewers are are in contention, uh, what I would say is a year ahead of schedule, and that's Chase Anderson and Jimmy Nelson. Now, they're both tough cases in terms of going forward because these are these are really big breakouts out of nowhere. Uh, Jimmy Nelson, 28 years old, right-hander. Uh, Chase Anderson, 29-year-old, right-hander. I said 28 years old um, for Nelson. That sounded weird. He's a 28-year-old right-hander, Anderson, 29-year-old. And they're both having brilliant seasons. Chase Anderson's been one of the absolute best pitchers in baseball when you really uh, break down the skills. Actually, you know what? I I said that as if he's light years ahead of Nelson. I'm looking at Nelson's numbers now. He's right there with him. Now, Nelson's had some some hit issues uh, at, earlier in the year, for sure, uh, that have him with a 9.1 hits per nine, which certainly sticks out like a sore thumb on the rest of his ledger here. Um, but everything else is, is is just glowing for Nelson. And Nelson was a legit prospect. There were expectations, but we had two full seasons and another uh, 69 nice innings uh, from Nelson saying that he was, you know, a, a, a back end sort of guy, a number four that 
better than a five because a five you're kind of always looking to replace. He was that four that you're seeing there. He's the prototypical innings eater, even right down to the fact that he's a big dude, 6'6", 250. And you're just like, put the big hoss out there. He's going to eat up uh, five to seven innings, 24 five times out of his 32 you know 27 28 times even out of his 32 starts um but gonna have some duds gonna have inconsistent performance even in some of those five six seven inning games might be giving up five six seven eight runs um maybe not eight i don't know how often guys go five and give up eight or go seven and give up eight anyway you get my point with nelson i don't know that i see enough in here to to really bet on it going forward as something that I really that I really want I can see Nelson and Anderson missing the cut in a lot of keeper situations even the ones I was talking about with Barrios where you keep by dollar value or you keep by round I I see I see many situations because first off actually no I don't know I can't prove that at all I was gonna say they're probably on teams that are having success so there's gonna be multiple no I don't think that that's necessarily true by any stretch but on those teams that they're helping push toward titles and into the playoffs, Nelson and, and Chase Anderson, there are going to be many other guys that, that have, have contributed and probably established themselves as, as better, more bankable keepers. Nelson, 28 years old, this big breakout here uh, with his strikeouts as well as his walks, both greatly improving. 21% strikeout minus walk ratio, 50% ground ball rate. Elements are there for him to continue to be successful. And he only has a 374 ERA this year. So you're probably like, well, what, what are you really expecting anyway? It's a 306 FIP, though. The skills have said that he could be even better than this. If you're keeping with a 374, 126 in mind, then by all means, you can keep Jimmy Nelson. Uh, but if you're keeping with the expectation for more, I don't know. I, I, I would actually use his current numbers right now as kind of not a best case, but like a, you know, a better than average case scenario for, for what Nelson will do next year. Now with Chase Anderson, I don't know that the story is all that different. Now, with with Anderson, we're dealing with a 29-year-old. So, again, right there, that really complicates things in terms of seeing him as some viable building block for years ahead. I do love the 23% strikeout rate, which is a career best. 11% swinging strike rate, also a career best. Uh, He's a fly ball pitcher. And what's weird is home runs were a major issue for Chase Anderson in 14, 15, and 16. So, of course, home runs explode across the league. And all of a sudden, they're not a problem for him. He has a .8 mark. I don't understand it. Uh, His .8 this year for Chase Anderson has brought his career mark down to 1.2, though. And so that tells you the kind of troubles that he had before this year. In fact, let me give you the the full number. 1.3 homers per nine in 419 innings from 14 to 16 for Chase Anderson. Then all of a sudden this year, he kind of figures it out a bit, despite still being a major fly ball pitcher. In fact, his fly ball rate is the highest it's ever been. There has been a jump in infield fly ball rate, but not so much that you're like, well, that's the reason. Now, you know, now he's got a 20% infield. No, it's, it's, it's 10% and that's fine. But the real big difference is a 7% homer to fly ball rate. It was at 14, 11, 15, and now 7%. That accounts for a lot of what we're seeing with Chase Anderson. Keeping those homers in, those fly balls that are no longer leaving the park and instead falling into gloves, that's been a major difference. Is that repeatable? How much is he actually contributing to on that? I'm not going to sit here and say that it's all luck for Chase Anderson because that that would diminish what he's out there doing. And I've watched him pitch a good five, six starts this year and and been intrigued and, and impressed with what I've seen. But I don't know that I can say, well, he can be a 10% or lower guy going forward now. Not at that fly ball rate, not with the way the ball is flying out of the park, not with the fact that you know he's not an overwhelming pitcher. He did add velocity as well from uh, 91 to 93, although that might only be a one-mile-per-hour one gain if you do kind of the stat cast correction for Chase Anderson. So add it all up, and he's just not somebody I really want to keep. I love what he's done. I'm excited uh, about him you know, getting back into the groove, had his first start back off the DL in Coors. I'm going to continue to watch him, and, and if they make the playoffs – It'd be interesting to see these two on on a, on a bigger stage. Uh, I, th- I think they would get the wild card and then have to go from there to get a series. But I just I don't I don't want Chase Anderson uh, as a keeper. I really don't. 
again, at the draft table, when I've got my team, I've got pieces of my team already set up and I have a better idea of how the team makeup is coming along, then I might be ready to pull the trigger. If you know, I've got, I'm bringing in my six keepers, we're five rounds in and now I'm seeing, you know, maybe he won't last that long, but you get my point is that I think you're in more control when you do it at the draft than when you bring the guy in as a keeper. Maybe I'm wrong on that. If you disagree, feel free to let me know and, and why. But I'm just not comfortable with Chase Anderson. So it's a no for me. Zach Godley is uh, probably the most out-of-nowhere guy on this entire list. Because even some of the guys that we're going to kind of speed round through here at the end, we got a couple more that we'll, we'll, we'll go deeper and then we'll speed round a bit. Even those speed round guys were legit prospects. Even if they were org, like prospects within their organization, where it's like, okay, he rates number eight, but prospect mavens love him or whatever. Maybe, maybe not a top 100 guy. Maybe not somebody that, that casual fans know, but they know him. this guy, Zach Godley didn't have any of that. And he's 27 years old. So he's another one of these. And, and to be consistent, I got to say, okay, I got to give it, I got to give it a little bit of side eye just the way I would chase Anderson or Jimmy Nelson. Um, cause I'm not sure that he's too far out of the realm of, of where they're at. Uh, when you're talking about adding it all up and, and, and putting it on paper here. However, the skills that he's displayed, I think it kind of takes the best from both of those guys and puts them together. Does godly a 55% ground ball rate with a 27% strikeout rate. I love that a 14% swinging strike rate um, has boosted that, that, his strikeout capability. Now he always had solid swinging strike rates and I was wondering why he didn't get more strikeouts. And I think he's kind of learned how to pitch a bit more this year and, and effectively deploy his, his stuff. Now, if you add it all up his last three seasons, 15, 16, and so far this year, Godley has 223 innings as a major leaguer. That's basically a, a, a full season, a really strong one these days. Um, you don't see a whole bunch of guys go 223, but let's call it a full on season. It's 33 starts, and he has a 23% strikeout rate, 15% strikeout minus walk rate, 13% swinging strike rate, 53% on the ground balls, 1.1 on the homers, uh, a 238 average. Now, that is a big factor for him. In 15 and 17, Zach Godley had a 223 and 211 batting average, respectively. Now, last year it was 281, so it bounced back on him. And the Babbitt goes 272, 313, 273. So there is some... Babib dependence here that might be out of Godley's hands, even though his stuff has improved and he's been able to maintain the ground balls for, you know, since he's been in the majors, he has a 1.9 ground ball to fly ball ratio. Man, I, I want to say how much I love Godley and lockdown keeper. Let's get it because he's going to be so cheap. I, I, I have to be consistent and say that it's very similar to Chase Anderson. There are scenarios where you know we're keeping seven and he's so cheap that I, I, I and I don't have six or seven others that I just love way more and I'll keep my my two dollar godly or my nineteenth know, round godly or whatever the case may be. But I, I I can't actively seek him out as somebody that I have to keep. You know what's what's he gonna get another fifty innings the rest of the year? I I, I don't know exactly what what godly's pace is, but let's say it's. Let's say it's, I guess if it's 60 innings, that's pretty good. Um, Cause that would be one set. But I mean, he's at one, my point is his godly's at 112 innings right now. And so that's, that's still pretty small. In fact, the, the, the pacing page here is saying, it's only going to throw another like 40 innings. So it'd be like 152. You know, that's not even a qualified season, you know? So I don't know. I, like it, it could be more than that. M- maybe it ends up being 169. Nice, fine. My point is, is that it's not even going to be a full, you know, 30 plus turns that we're going off of to keep a 27 year old non prospect who kind of came the hell out of nowhere. So I love what Zach Godley's doing, and he is definitely somebody I will draft next year because I don't think the market will overprice him. I think he's somebody that will be ignored a bit. And come come a lot cheaper than you think, and the godly believers will have multiple shares, and uh, because so many will just say, "Nah, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that." 
that park offers volatility too, though, uh, in Arizona for Godley. And he has to go to Coors a couple times. So there's, and he has to play the Dodgers. So there are things working against Zach Godley. I love what he's done this year. I do believe in the numbers he's put up this year. But just because you believe in what's been done doesn't mean that it's going to be carried forward. And there's a big distinction there that I think sometimes we forget. Just because we believe and we see that, you know, the metrics agree his FIP 327 is very close to his 313 ERA. So the, the, the FIP measurement saying, hey, this is what we've seen is real. But will it go forward? We don't know. Uh, but I do think there's some intriguing aspects. So godly somebody I'm drafting next year, but I'm really trying not to keep. So be careful with your with your godly shares and see if you can kind of pawn them off on somebody or just keep, you know, just hang them onto him on your team. Keep your seven guys or whatever and then cut him so that he's available in the draft too. There's always that strategy. Don't necessarily just trade a guy because he might have some value in the market if he's actually somebody you like, but you just don't want to keep. And there are play, like it might seem, you know, contradictory or whatever but i I don't think it is everybody has their price that's why you can kind of change on a guy based on price you don't just universally hate them it's you don't like them at the cost and then when the cost changes you might like them more or less so godly is somebody that i think when the cost is 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 reasonable and, and low i'm in but once it starts to elevate and you start talking keeper i move the other way all right, Lance McCullough is somebody we alluded to a bit earlier on his injury history, so I I'm feel confident that you guys know where I'm going to go on this one, and he's just somebody that I want to be really careful about keeping, especially because, well, first off, a lot is going to change based on the last month plus here. If he comes back and pitches, how, how does he do? Does he pitch in the playoffs? That's going to influence a lot, so let play a little bit of an assumption game here and i know that's dangerous because it'll change things let's assume he does come back in early september he pitches the rest of the season at you know a lance mccullers or mccullers clip of like a 340 era boatload of strikeouts looks sexy up there with that uh devastating curveball and big heat okay great and he goes in the playoffs, pitches well not out of his mind not like holy crap lance mccullers is the story of the playoffs but like you know, every time he goes out, he's consistent. He's solid. He does well for them. Bada bing, bada boom. We're, we're we're all back on the Lance McCullers train. We're not worried about the back anymore. At that point, when offseason trading begins, I am immediately shopping him because the back injury will be in the back of people's minds. They will be, uh, you know, back to remembering. Okay, he finished the season on the field. He he pitched well in the playoffs. Let's go. I'm in. And there will be somebody in your league or multiple peoples that are still very high on him. And I'm actually still very high on him, but it's a lot different when you're talking about investing a keeper slot than if you're just wanting to draft him. And for me with Lance McCullers, I just, the health, you, you, you can't ignore it. We're talking a buck 25. Well, hang on. I, I don't want to be unfair on the innings because you have to include minor league innings. Uh, so in 15, he threw 158 innings. In 16, he threw 88 or 89, and then uh, this year he's at 106 for Lance McCullough. So he's 24 years old, and he's never eclipsed, um, you know, even 160 innings as a major leaguer. Well, and you need 162 to qualify. You need an inning per per game to, to be a qual- So he's never had a qualifying season by major league standards. And, you know, he is still young, and the talent is immense. But what, what makes us think that he's going to continue – or, or that he's going to gain health. Now, you guys know that I will always bet on a guy who has great skills and health is the missing piece to try to get that season. Sorry, I knocked on the table there. To try to get that season of health. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to give him a contract. That doesn't mean that I want to make him a keeper when I have this bat who maybe doesn't have the same upside of a McCullers, but I, I feel like I'm going to get just a solid season out of him. I'll keep I'll keep that that high floor bat over the high ceiling pitcher, and then try to get the pitcher back. Now McCullers is certainly somebody that if I can't get something I'm really happy with, and at the draft table, or excuse me, at the trade table in, in the off season, and I still don't want to keep him, uh, then then I just hang on to it. I don't take something lesser just to get him traded. 
I just hang on, say, fine, here's my six keepers. McCullers didn't make the cut. Boom, he's back in the draft, and I'll try to get him that way. Uh, don't just take something lower than what you want. By the way, I think I might have made a mistake here. Did I just read off? No, okay. I thought I read off the wrong person's innings counts there. No, those were McCullers. Um, but don't just take something to get him off your team. And and don't be afraid to keep him if, if, if the situation just adds up where it's like nobody's biting and you have him for fourteen dollars in a in a mixed in a you know twelve team mixed league. I think you still have to keep McCullers at that point and just go forward with it. But do not give him a contract. Do not. That would be a bad bad idea. All right, teammate Brad Peacock is somebody that you know will probably be a dollar in AL only leagues. I could see I could see guys having put a dollar on him in that league. Otherwise, he's going to be a, a free agent pickup for sure because he didn't come in with a role and he's really kind of broken out out of nowhere. He's 29 years old. You AL only guys and gals, keep him. Obviously. You're going to have him way too cheap not to. The rest of you, don't worry about it. Like, I get that he's got really intriguing stuff. And when he's on, he's great. And he's had a really good season, 12 12 strikeouts per nine, 11.8 to be exact. But he still walks the yard. And he doesn't go a lot of innings with any consistency you know he's had some six and seven inning games this year but he's never top seven he only has seven once so those days when the hits maybe fall in paired with the walks leave you with a big whip and he's got a 131 brad peacock great season not somebody you want to keep all right these last four here i'm gonna i'm gonna speed up on just a little bit first off i've written about all of them no two uh three of them i think Hang on, let me, I'm going to look it up. Live. I'm not cutting this out. We're leaving it in. Did Paul write about Jordan Montgomery? I don't think recently, did I? Oh, yeah, I did. And I, what did I write about him as? A potential keeper arm and another one of the guys in here. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't want, I'm not going to go too deep because you have pieces that you can look at that I wrote about uh, these, these various guys. So first is Luis Castillo. I've written about Luis Castillo a couple different times recently and um, including in the piece 10 potential keeper arms. So I think you kind of know how I'm feeling about that. And one of the things that I said that I, I certainly feel uh, is, a, is a good comp is that there are, there are some 2015 Luis Severino vibes to Castillo, meaning you need to be careful about the potential fall down in 18 followed by a big surge in 19 now that won't do you a whole hell of a lot of good for your 2018 seasons um but i think there's there's certainly risk there uh, he has a 10 percent walk rate it can get wild he has a 1.2 homer per nine rate does luis castillo but the reason i'm so hardened is because the 24 year old first off just throws bullets has a devastating changeup. i love a young pitcher with a good changeup. that's so key and um he's he's done what he's done and what he's done is a, a 345 ERA and a 119 whip. He's done that against a hellacious schedule. Just a hellacious schedule that I've covered on this podcast. You know, Washington a couple times, trip to Colorado, Arizona a couple times, into the Bronx, at the Cubs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he's still come out on top. Like now he's only two and six, but that's because they can't support him. Uh, but his performance has been strong. I could easily see him coming back to earth next year, but I'm keeping him in all NL onlys because he's just going to be too cheap not to. And for for mixed league, it has to be a situation where you guys keep like 10 probably. Because even at a buck, a buck and a keep six, a buck and a keep seven, I don't know. First off, I don't know why you would necessarily have him for a buck because he didn't draft him. Nobody, nobody was on Luis Castillo in a... 15 team even a 15 team mixed league let alone like a 12 team so he would be like the free agent price which a lot of times is 10 and then that's an easy no but i highlighted him in that in that keeper piece because i was thinking uh mostly about dynasty uh as well as 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 other deep league formats like nl only uh where he's an obvious keeper of course but also somebody that i definitely want to acquire dynasty league where you have you know so many players that you can deal with the ebbs and flows of a guy's career and kind of watch them develop, I want Luis Castillo badly, even knowing that next year could be a downturn or or you know more of a stabilization where he's a, a 420 pitcher who has flashes of brilliance but 
at the end of the year it's just not what people might have expected and then he busts out at, at age 26 and 19 that that's a perfectly viable path for castillo but i definitely want him in those deeper formats Herman Marquez, I just wrote about him. I just did a pros and cons on him, so I would really direct you there for my detailed thoughts on him. But he's a pitcher in Coors Field. And so I can't really, in good conscience, recommend keeping him in anything but NL formats where he is uh, a single-digit $5 or under. It's just That park is just too damn volatile to make you feel comfortable about putting an asset... Um, on, a, on a Colorado pitcher as a keeper, so I'd be very I'd be very wary of doing anything like that. Again, somebody I'm going to draft in reserve rounds of mixed leagues next year. I don't think he's good. well. Maybe not reserve rounds. Um, you know, maybe ten team or reserve rounds, but like twelve, fifteen. He'll probably get drafted late rounds. But I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there taking Marquez. But as a keeper, I think you really want to be careful there. I do like a lot of what we've seen. We do need to see, still need to see some development. Uh, from his third pitch there, uh, so he, so he has an offering that 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 he can go to when when either the curveball or fastball isn't at its best, and he needs to get ahead more. His first pitch strike rate is is, is too low, and I, I think he's still learning. And the fact that Marquez has been able to put up a 4.24 ERA and a 1.30 WHIP, not eye popping numbers, but certainly useful in deeper leagues, while still kind of learning on the job at age 22 in Coors Field of all places, has impressed me. Uh, Jacob Montgomery, or Jacob Montgomery, that that gives you a clue on the the, the, the last two guys here, Jordan Montgomery and Jacob Faria. I'll go M- Montgomery first. Like I said, I have written about him. He was also in that uh, pitchers you might want to keep piece and. I just I really like the stuff here. I know it's it's kind of come apart at the seams here later in the year. I think he was actually just sent back down to AAA probably until September first for call ups, and I don't know how many more starts he's going to get the rest of the year. But he put up twenty three starts of a four ERA and a one twenty two WHIP with eight point four strikeouts. Now Homer's got a little unruly there at times one point three, but he showed a deep arsenal that uh, that had a lot of reliable pitches. None of his pitches, I, I think, are necessarily super elite. Where you're like, oh my god, that's the devastator. That's that's the that's the out pitch every time uh, that he's in two strike counts. But his secondaries all got positive pitch values this year. Changeup, curveball, slider in that order: nine point one, four point one, two point one, respectively. The fastball was minus five point six on the, uh, the the pitch value. So as he hones that fastball with that trio of secondaries. I think we could really see something special out of Jordan Montgomery. He's going to be a 25-year-old. Um, I, I really like him. You know, Bill James always talks about this as in a team construct. If you're average everywhere, then you're then you're a great team. I think it could be the same thing with with a, with a player though, with their skills. If if you're average, if you get 50 55s on on every tick, you know, for your for your command, for your mechanics, for your fastball, for your slider curve change, all that sort of stuff, that's going to add up. I think to a really really strong pitcher. So I'm still pretty hyped on Jordan Montgomery. Again, as is the case with all these, and even Faria coming up in in mixed leagues, we're talking ten twelve. I just don't see a keeper situation unless you guys keep like fifteen, even. Um, but single leagues AL only, since both these guys are in the AL, definitely dynasty, definitely, uh, and that's the context where I want a Jordan Montgomery and where I would actively seek him out. Now, for Jacob Faria, what I would definitely do, and I let me let me bring this up here. Hang on. Uh, I, I want to recommend that you guys check out the, the piece at the pitcher list uh, on him. It was Ian Post did a big breakdown of him back on July 12th. Now, so, you know, month plus has passed, but I think it gives you a really strong deep dive into what Faria is able to do. And he's fallen on hard times since, and he's on the DL with an abdomen injury. But you go back, you read that, you see what, what we're dealing with here. I think this is a guy who somewhat similar to Montgomery might not have that that single elite pitch but uh is positive with with all of his secondaries and and has a workable fastball that could certainly take him to that next level you know only sits like 92 93 nothing eye popping but there's a lot to like here and I do think that he is somebody that you know the 332 ERA that he's put up this year I think that's kind of maybe an upside for a full season because uh, it's really hard to grind out 185 plus innings at a 332 with a 119 whip, 
but I think we've seen a lot to like here. And I, I don't know that he's like a major implosion candidate next year. Um, for, for, for real, I think he does have a high floor. I would definitely be interested in him, but it has to be those deeper formats. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode, talking pitcher breakouts. I hope I hope you liked it. Uh, you know, just kind of giving some deeper thoughts on my 2018 outlook for a lot of these guys. And obviously, these are kind of initial thoughts. You know, the offseason is going to offer a lot of time to kind of deep dive further, make sure we still agree with what we're seeing here. But that's that's where I'm at with these guys right now. Some of them are must-keeps, all formats at all costs. Others are certainly something that uh, – you appreciate what they offered you this year, but then you kind of move on. Uh, anyway, but back this week, you know, and I will record this week. I don't know. Uh, you know, went the Friday thing. We moved from Thursday to Friday and then never recorded on Friday. And I think it's because our schedules got, when we got mixed up on the schedules, uh, we just weren't ready to record on, on a Friday. So uh, it's, everything should be normal. Got the solo today, Thursday with Eno, Saturday with Jason. All right. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>